EscapingTheCave.com. Thank you, comrade. Escaping the cave. And I'm getting really sick of guys named Todd. Remember, bitch, you clicked on my face. Please do not use gendered language to to address everyone. I just wanted to relive something. Little nostalgia, maybe, from last summer. An old intro. I need something familiar. Howdy, kids. This is a big one. Episode number 100. A hundred episodes of this godforsaken podcast has come your way. <laughs> a little under three years. A few more than that. But this is officially episode number 100. I don't know what to think of that. I saw it coming. I saw it coming like way back there. I was trying to think to myself. I said self because that's what I call myself as self. I said self, what am I going to do when I finally hit this huge milestone of 100 podcasts? Should I do a retrospective? <laughs> I thought about it. <laughs> Going back and listening to these things. Uh, I, oh, almost all episodes are like taking notes and saying, oh, I like this. I'll, I'll play this. I'll put this in the episode. I'll put this in the episode. Oh, it'll be great. <laughs> that is not what I'll be doing today. <laughs> in fact, you know, I'm recording this on Sunday, uh, January 18th. I'm sorry, Monday, January 18th, uh, early morning hours. This weekend, listen to the podcast Friday, you probably, it felt like the episode of Game of Thrones where they're all at the inside of the castle waiting for the army of the dead to descend upon Winterfell. They're all sitting there kind of getting drunk, just kind of hanging out, waiting, waiting, okay, Night King's a-coming. He's going to be coming out of the woods soon. Oh, what's he going to do? What's he going to bring? Well, at least Gendry got lucky in that episode. But that's what it's been feeling like for the last few days, hasn't it? Hasn't it felt like that? Like we're waiting for Sunday to show up. To, just to see what happens. To see what kind of carnage is going to hit our state capitals. And then nothing. Not a goddamn thing. It was, it was, it was comical. I was in here, I get up out of bed, I get up, okay, what's going on? Nothing. And one of the local news channels, or maybe it was CNN, I don't know. There's one guy, one bugaloo guy up in Lansing at the state capitol with his big gun. <laughs> Hawaiian shirt, it's like, it's like Magnum P.I. with Down syndrome and a gun. That was it. One guy. One guy. That's all they were showing. I know there were a few more than that. There were there were uh, several people, several individuals showed up in Lansing, but they they were outnumbered. I think by law enforcement, they were outnumbered by the show of force saying, "No, you shall not be reenacting what happened at the Capitol." At least not today here in Lansing. There was nobody there to speak of. Since Parlor went down, and since I think it's probably a good idea that to be responsible American citizens these days, we should probably pay attention to, to things that are happening outside of our echo chamber, just a little bit more, just to try to understand. If not empathize and not sympathize, but just understand a few of the things that are going around. Because I've noticed that a lot of people who are either on the left or the right have no idea what people on the other side think. Beyond the caricatures. Notice this. And so I thought to myself that I would, I'm going to go off the reservation. I, I decided to check out Parlor last weekend. I was kind of urged on by the fact that I knew it was going to be shut down, that if I didn't do it before a certain time, that I wouldn't have any idea what was actually happening over there without being told, without being spun. I went and checked it out last weekend. I was fascinated by what I saw. A lot of the things that I had heard about that place, a lot of that stuff was true. It was a peppy-filled fuckfest. I saw it myself. I don't need you to tell me what I saw. 
I did see it. Now, could have been, I guess, there is in some realm of possibility that that was all Antifa doing that stuff, talking about the violence, trying to set them up. That's, you know, uh, okay. Probably not. So Parler was shut down. They're sort of starting to rumble back to life a week later. But I wanted to find out what else was out there. Outside of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and the, and the really well-known ones. So I went and installed this app called uh, Telegram. I think it's called Telegram. Let me look on my phone. Telegram or Telegraph. It's one of those two. It's a messaging service. It's like real secure. It's called Telegram. I am not having any conversations or discussions. I am just lurking. I am peeping in your telegram window. Who's the doggy in the telegram window shitting all over the floor? That's what I'm doing. So first thing I did, I wanted to go find and see if I could find any people that I knew who perhaps had been kicked off Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Just people that I knew as individuals because I wanted to see what they were like there as opposed to if I had interacted with them on another platform or in person. I found no one. Not on that specific app. I did find some people on Parler. But what I did find on Telegram, once I figured out how to use it, the Proud Boys. I learned a little bit about Enrique. <laughs> you know who Enrique is? Neither did I. And I was doing this on Friday, Saturday, and I got an inclination of what was going to happen on Sunday when I found those guys. I started kind of bouncing around trying to figure out what they were doing over there on the telegram. And they were telling their people Friday and Saturday not to show up anywhere, Michigan, anywhere around the country, because in their words, they were afraid it was going to be a false flag event. And that the government was going to fabricate an attack or violence or something and blame it on them so the government could, you know, justify shutting them down or attacking them, cracking down on them, however you want to look at it. So, kind of saw that coming, at least with that group. And then there was some other uh, indications that the militia groups didn't want anything to do with maybe the Bugaloo people. I don't know what it was, but I don't like them. We don't want to be associated with them, so we're not going to go. Or something. So it was kind of clear that maybe on Sunday, the apocalypse was not going to strike. But for Christ's sakes, I didn't expect one douchebag in a Hawaiian shirt with a gun. There were people there carrying water guns. Water cannons as their open carry firearms. I swear to God. Don't look for the pictures if you don't believe me. I, I did see these and I'm like, wow, they got some really funky looking firearms there. No, that's a super soaker. It's a super soaker event. <laughs> it sure as hell wasn't a super spreader event, but maybe they got super soaked. I don't know. <laughs> that's all that was there. I was embarrassed for them. Now, I'm aware, and they just may be, you know, girding their loins for Inauguration Day battle. That is entirely possible. Maybe we'll see something tomorrow. Tomorrow's Monday. Sunday, the Capitol was not open. Here in Michigan, they don't have the Capitol open unless they're in legislative session, I think, or something down that line. I don't know exactly. Maybe they're there tomorrow. And maybe they just sort of juked when we jived. They were ready for everything on Sundays. And all the chatter was about Sundays. So let's not go Sunday. Let's pick another day. We'll get them that way. Juke, jive. Ooh, ooh, ooh. That kind of thing, right? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't been checking my, my Proud Boys contact page. I haven't been kind of checking that every single day. I haven't been back here since Friday. So maybe there's something up there. Maybe I should have checked that before I came on. So there's a, there's a few days. We've got Monday, we've got Tuesday, and then Inauguration Day is Wednesday. I am not going to make the mistake of thinking or believing for a second that all these people who were you know beating on cops and 
storming the Senate and the Congress, whatever, at the Capitol, that all these people have just suddenly stood down because Donald Trump gave an impassioned, <laughs> legally motivated plea for there to be no violence. I don't believe anything he said. I think that was a precaution to sort of protect him against any sort of liability or lawsuits or whatever is going to happen after he gets out of office. So he cannot be held criminally liable for anything that happens. That's all of that. All that statement was, I think, his people explicitly understand that. They know he was full of shit and he had to do that. I'm not going to allow myself to believe that he neutered that mob. And there are parts of the internet, parts of the really deep dark web over there who have turned on Trump because he think he, they're like, get out of our way, Trump, you pussy. We'll go do it ourselves. We don't need you anymore. We're sufficiently radicalized. This is like, I, I don't know, this is like Waco without Koresh, right? I'm not, I'm not running down that line. I'm, I am not buying into that at all. I think something still is coming. It just didn't happen on Sunday. And maybe it won't be today, later on today, Monday. Maybe it won't be Tuesday. I got to believe something is coming by Wednesday. Don't you? Don't you? You think this is just going to be like nothing? Have they got it out of their system on Wednesday, on the 6th? You think that's it? Most people who, who do stuff like this and follow stuff like this, most people who study it, seem to think this is going to be an ongoing thing. This is going to be something we're going to be dealing with regularly now. i got to tell you, it's hard for me to, to really argue with anything. Malcolm Nance, do you know who he is? I think he's like a counterterrorism guy. Uh, he was on Bill Maher, one of his last guests, I think, back in 2020 before he took his winter hiatus. And I've had him on my mind a lot because he's talking about this insurgency, this sort of like what we had to deal with in Iraq once we deposed Saddam Hussein and had this power vacuum. We had this insurgency, this this light insurgency, this mild insurgency at first that grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. He thinks that that's what Donald Trump is fomenting here. And he thinks that's going to be the reality of the country. He said this on Mars show, I don't know, November. It was after the election. I think it was after he was beaten and he understood what was going to happen with these, uh, I don't know what you'd call them. I've been thinking a lot about him since the 6th. Malcolm Nance should probably have a higher profile than he has. He's got a pretty decent profile as it is. He should probably be talking a lot more in front of a lot bigger audiences. It's really tempting, I think, when you have a day like this, when you have these duds, the media has whipped us into a frenzy for a week, two weeks, however long. And then we have, okay, uh, brace for it. It's like, uh, 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 uh. and it's really easy to go into this mentality, take this attitude that it was all just bullshit. That they fool us, okay, fine, we don't have to worry about this, good. Today didn't happen, it's done. No, I don't think it is. Don't get too comfortable here. You are listening to the Escaping the Cave podcast. Escapingthecave.com is my website. also have a Substack site. I might be firing that bad boy up here putting some more content up there uh, in the next uh, week or two. Our record date on this is January 18th of 2021 for you folks listening maybe down the road a little bit. We don't know right now, as I'm sitting here doing this today, we don't know what's going to happen on Wednesday with Joe Biden's inauguration. We do know that hopefully, theoretically, most likely, Donald Trump's going to be out of office. Not going to be, uh, you know, invoking the Insurrection Act or anything like that on Wednesday. You never really feel good about this, do you? Am I the only one here? Do you do you have this nagging sense in the back of your head that he's going to pull something out of his big orange ass on Wednesday? I don't like that. I don't like that feeling. I don't like having that thought in my head all the time. 
Like, I don't trust him to leave. God damn it. Now, Bill Maher returned to the show last Friday. Great timing. I was excited to see the show, and it was a good show. Enjoyed it, but he didn't gloat at all. <laughs> he didn't say anything about his predictions. I was kind of disappointed. It was a good show. If you get a chance to see the, uh, the replays on it, I'd recommend it. Anyway, he's been saying for a long time, he didn't think Trump was going to leave, and I've still got this in the back of my head. Like, as soon as the swearing-in ceremony is done, I don't know where they're doing this, I don't know if anybody's going to be watching, but I want that swearing-in ceremony done. I want the U-Haul pulled up to 1600, and I want his ass out. I want to see him go. I want to see him walk into Mar-a-Lago as a citizen, no longer president. And then I might go, ah, finally. I'm not used to this. I don't like this. I've been around a long time. I'm not a young man anymore. And I miss the boring days. I miss knowing exactly how the stuff was going to go. Oh, God, I'm not going to watch this. We see this all the time. Whatever. I'm bored. I'm not, I'm not bored with it anymore. This is funny. I, you know, I, I, I saw the images of the National Guard. Last time I checked, there were 25,000 people, 25,000 National Guard troops mustered in Washington, D.C., preparing for the inauguration because of a likely unrest, intelligence about unrest for the inauguration. The sight of National Guard soldiers in Washington, D.C., it looks like Baghdad. They've got to set up. They have a green zone in D.C. They have a green zone. And it reminded me of my first trip down to Mexico back in 2011. Hung around in Chiapas, San Cristobal. A great town, southern Mexico, kind of down near where Guatemala is at, but Chiapas, that's the big thing. 1994, the Zapatista uprising happened in Chiapas. They had a big battle in a town called Ocasingo. You can go to Ocasingo. I've been there. They had this great uh, ruins zone called Tonina. It's in Ocasingo. But... The one thing that I remember about Ocasingo, other than Tony Nan, other than the, the streets themselves, is seeing the bullet holes still in the sides of the buildings in Ocasingo. It stood out to me when we were there getting a tire changed. Something else that stands out, and this happened in San Cristobal, it was the very first time that I remember seeing an armed soldier on the street of a city that I was in. An armed soldier, not a policeman but an army guy, an army dude on the plaza in San Cristobal, Chiapas, Mexico. I remember seeing this. I took a picture of it. I was all timid with my camera, like, oh, I don't know if I should be doing this. Click. <laughs> he didn't care. But it really, it, 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 it drove the point home. It was a really kind of an important moment, a quietly important moment for him, because I saw that, I'm like, I, I, I complain about the United States a lot. This is something that I've never seen. I don't mind my country. I mind my country a little bit less than I did five minutes ago. That was sort of the attitude that kind of took over my mind as I was seeing this in Mexico and feeling it, experiencing what it was like to be in a city with a military presence for the first time. And here we are. Here we are, 25,000 National Guard troops in Washington, D.C. because of threats, insurrectionist threats. These aren't National Guard troops put in place to distribute food and water after a flood. These are the same kinds of troops. They're in place for much the same reason as that soldier or those soldiers I saw in Chiapas in 2011. These are American Zapatistas. And those 25,000 National Guard troops are there in response to them. Struck me when I saw that. I saw them sleeping in the state capitol. I saw them you know, putting up all the fencing and everything around. Sorry, in the U.S. Capitol, around the U.S. Capitol, saw the fencing go up. A little bit less so because there was only one bugaloo guy up there in Lansing, but a little bit of the same reaction yesterday when I saw that. 
the country has changed significantly. Why? Why? Have you really thought about, have we really thought about, collectively, how much this country has changed? Not only since Donald Trump took office in 2016, but going all the way back to like 2008. 2009 with the rise of the Tea Party. I'm not going to do it right now, but I can draw a straight line from the rise of the Tea Party, Sarah Palin, that embracing of anti-intellectualism. I can run a straight line to Donald Trump and where we are today. And not only putting the blame on conservatives as well, because the liberals, the left, and their response to that equal and opposite radicalization. It's like extremist ping pong or tennis. Back and forth, back and forth. A little bit further, a little bit further out to the extremes, a little bit further out to the extremes, a little further out to the extremes until you end up with troops in your capital. Not to protect us from an invasion, from each other. Have we really had a conversation about where this country's come from? Have we had an honest to hell with the honest conversation about race? We've been trying to have a conversation about race for 150, 200 years. Maybe we ought to try to have an honest conversation about why we are where we are, the path that we have taken to get to this point where we can't even have our own people show up for the inauguration. We have to have 25,000 troops in D.C. I've heard this statistic. It's like, what is it, more than in Iraq, Afghanistan, and uh, somewhere else combined. We have more troops in D.C. than we have in Iraq and Afghanistan. Yay. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies and amber waves of grain. This is troubling. And it's not over, and I'm still sitting here And I still have this anxiety about what that cocksucker is going to do on Wednesday. I still. I know everything's in place. But I half expect his followers to erupt on Wednesday to the point and do it before he leaves office so he can do something with the Insurrection Act. Tell me you're not thinking this. Tell me you're honestly not thinking it. Tell me, I don't want to hear the stuff about how you're suppressing it. I I can't think that way. I don't want to think that way. I have to believe it's all going to be fine. If you have to believe something, oh my God, you're embracing, you're, you're indulging in willful ignorance. It's part of that anti-intellectual strain that I was talking about a minute ago. If you have to believe something, okay, well, we shouldn't be having this conversation, you and I. Tell me you're not feeling that. I cannot prove it. Never be able to prove it. Nobody's ever going to be able to prove it. They tried to prove it. I've been saying (laughs) before... I'm saying for a long time, we had the Russia investigation. We've heard all the chatter about how Donald Trump was an agent... Disproven, couldn't be proven. However you want to look at it, he went through all the impeachment stuff. Russia, blah, 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 blah. Russia, 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 Russia. Nobody can prove a goddamn thing. Okay, fine. He's going to be out of office. It's never, ever, probably, really seriously going to come up again. But you cannot convince me, looking over the last four to five years, since he took the the walk or the ride down that stupid fucking escalator, You're going to have a real hard time convincing me that he is not an agent of some sort. You can dismiss it and you can say that he's just stupid, he's just narcissistic, he's this, that, or the other thing. But tell me something. If you were going to engineer it, where you had somebody in the the office of president of the United States who was going to destroy the fabric of this country, what would you do differently? What would you do that he hasn't done? Other than maybe start a nuclear war. How would you do this differently? Think about where we are now with the elections. How we see each other. 
with this insurrectionist element gurgling beneath the surface and getting ready to explode. We don't trust our elections anymore, specifically because of him. We don't trust our media, partially because of him, partially because they gave him credibility with the way they behaved. But if you're in a democracy, if you're living in a democracy and you cannot trust the veracity of the vote, you don't have a democracy. All you need is doubt. Doubt. Doubt is all you need. And that was one of the very first things he did. He attacked the media as the enemy of the people, called it fake news, and he attacked the veracity of the vote. In 2015, if I lose, it's because the election was rigged. He's been saying that. That's been a common refrain throughout. If you live in a democracy, what better way to destroy it than to destroy confidence in the vote? Tell me, I want to know, what would you do differently? You don't think that he's a, he's a plant? You don't think he's an agent? Maybe hired, maybe just an intentional sort of uh, a troll, a president, a troll president that he's just doing this on his own because he wants to do it, because he wants to destroy, destroy something. If you don't believe that's the case, I want you to tell me what you'd do differently. It reminds me of the, the uh, 9-11 conspiracy people. They used to talk about George Bush and, and the government house, but hey, it's perpetrated, you can tell, blah, 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 blah. And they got lost in the details of, of how it happened. And I bought into that for a little while. I, you know, I know a little bit about, about the Reichstag fire. I know about the Enabling Act. I see parallels between the Reichstag fire, the Enabling Act, 9-11, and the Patriot Act. Fine, whatever, I can do that. But then they get the details, improving it, and all this other stuff. And I, it occurred to me one day, I was watching JFK. <laughs> Oliver Stone, right? An Oliver Stone movie, I think it is. It was like uh, Kevin Costner. Like Costner? Yeah. And he's talking to Donald Sutherland in the park. And Donald Sutherland tells uh, Costner's character, I forget his name. But you get like, it was like he said something down the line, and you get lost in the detail, you get lost in the how, and you forget about the why. And it was something, a light bulb just went on in my head as far as 9-11 went. And it was like, what would they do differently? It doesn't matter. The details don't matter. Proving it doesn't matter. They're acting like they engineered 9-11 to take, uh, to take over Iraq, to go to war in Iraq. They're acting like it. What would they do differently? And that's all I needed to know about the Bush administration. I'm getting the same sense here. Nobody can prove it. Nobody's going to have incontrovertible proof. But what would the man do differently? If you were him, what would you do differently? To destroy this country more effectively and more efficiently than Donald Trump has in the last five years. Look at where we are. It's almost like a perfect storm. The confluence of technology and idiocracy. The perfect storm. Will we survive? I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, I know you want to believe or need to believe that Joe Biden's going to be able to, you know, usher in this era of unity. Reunited and it feels so good. You need a little peaches and herb in your life. Captain and Tennille. <laughs> love will keep us together. Need some 70s love songs? But this isn't... It doesn't take much to forecast what's going to happen. I mean, you've already got one of these, these, these batshit new Q senators. I forget her name. Green? Is that right? Is she the one that's already drafted articles of impeachment for Biden? Already, he's not even in office, and she's got him written up, and she's gonna she's gonna present them on his his first full day in office. This is where we are. Do you think Hunter Biden's not coming back? There's some version of Benghazi, Benghazi, Benghazi. Some reciprocal infliction, <laughs> I guess. Russia, Russia, Russia. Of course, it's coming. The people who think that this election was stolen, they're not going away. They're not going to be coming to electoral Jesus.
I've talked a lot about the technology. I've talked a lot about how these echo chambers and how human psychology really has really worked to exploit who we are and what we are as human beings. Tribal. Really have difficult times perceiving reality through the, you know, the, the prism and the filters of emotion, observational bias, stuff like that. We all have it. Talked a lot about that, but I'm afraid that a lot of this, some of this, to what degree, I don't know. I'll never be able to figure it out. Not smart enough. But I feel like some of this was generated. I feel like some of this was exploited purposefully. And I think it emanated from our own seat of government. Do I think he's smart enough? Donald Trump is smart enough to put all this together, to know how to do this? Maybe he is an instinctual genius. When it comes to stuff like this, I don't think so. We'll never know. This makes things make a whole hell of a lot more sense. Having elements like Giuliani within your own country, like Steve Bannon, Roger Stone, people he's pardoning. You don't think that Steve Bannon's going to be one of the 100 who gets pardoned along with himself, I'm sure, and his family on Tuesday? He's not stupid. He's dangerous. And there he is. He's got your president's ear this week. So, yeah. I don't know what Donald Trump would do differently if somebody proved that he was a foreign agent or just a saboteur. I don't know how much different it would look. If he were an intentional demagogue, manufactured, I don't know how different his follower base would be, this religious cult base that he has behind him now. How would you engineer that differently? I had some stuff here that I wanted to talk about as far as uh, the media goes and the social media crackdown. Silicon Valley. And trying to rein in the informational anarchy a little bit. A lot of people don't agree with this. A lot of people have a problem with it. I am not entirely comfortable with it. But as I said on this show many times and recently, what did you expect? Government can't do it. We do have the First Amendment. Government can't crack down on speech. Private companies can on their own platforms. You know, Katie Couric made a really good point on Bill Maher's show last week talking about a constitutional convention for the digital age where we need to have a conversation about what free speech means in 2021 as opposed to in 1790. I pointed out in another show that uh, those amendments, the Bill of Rights, first, uh, first Amendment, Second Amendment, all that were written, particularly the First Amendment, written in a time when information traveled at the speed of horse rather than the speed of light. And I really like that idea. I don't think it was hers. A constitutional convention for the digital age. We need to revisit these things. They're obviously not working as written. Not anymore. Parlor is uh, starting to rumble back to life. Well, that'll be some fun anthropological activity. <laughs> Go see what's happening over there when they finally come back. But as far as the rest of social media goes, I mean, I think we're getting to the point now where they're starting to realize this is untenable. This is dangerous. And I'm surprised, honestly, that it took this long. But I guess maybe, you know, when you ban the president of the United States, you've broken the seal. The Twitter and Facebook accounts are not covered by the First Amendment. And as Josh Hawley found out this week, neither are book deals. Did you hear about that? Yeah, Hawley had his uh, book deal canceled by the publisher. He started whining about it, obviously. And then even National Review ripped him a new one, pointing out his inconsistencies when it comes to uh, quote-unquote compelled speech. That's absolutely right. And think about this. Let's go back a few years. If the bakery doesn't have to bake that gay cake, Simon Schuster doesn't have to publish your fucking book. You with me here? You, you, do you get the consistency? And also, also, also... <laughs> Amazon doesn't have to host your batshit social media platform either. See, the privilege of having free-range access 
To some, private businesses' pocket-sized global broadcast device is not quite covered in the Bill of Rights. I, I challenge you to go find it. Go find it where you says you have an inalienable right to a broadcast device that can reach anywhere on the globe at will. The ability to scream to the world shall not be infringed. Is that in the Bill of Rights somewhere? I don't think that's what they meant by the free press. I've talked about my contempt for the listener a little bit in this podcast the last couple of weeks. I'm trying to temper that, but this, this, it's shit like this. It sends it into maybe a misdirected pre-boil, but a pre-boil nonetheless, because when I say that, then I envision this gaggle, this gaggle of chicken heads nodding along, these progressive chicken heads nodding along until, until I point out that if Amazon doesn't have to host Parlor, then guess what? The bakery doesn't have to bake the gay cake either. So I look over here, horrified by the inconsistency, and then I look over here to the other side. Same inconsistency, just in in photonegative version. (laughs) Contempt isn't for the listener. My contempt is for the human species. I'd I'd like to believe that you, Tonzillophile, are a little bit more sophisticated than this, I want to believe it, but you know when I say you and I'm talking, I have this training that I'm supposed to talk to an individual person, I have this this image, this composite image of a couple of extremists, one a leftist, one a rightist, and that's who I'm talking to when I say you and I start feeling this, this growing, boiling contempt. <sighs> yes, these progressive chicken heads. I like that. I like the imagery. Yeah, Amazon doesn't have to host Parlor because they're free. They're a private business. Okay, then. Well, the bakery doesn't have to bake that gay fucking cake then, huh? Uh-huh. What? Short-circuiting. <laughs> burst into cognitively dissonant flames. Poof. <laughs> Compelled speech. This is an example of morals being painted by your politics. Remind me to talk about Lippmann's uh, preface to morals someday. (sighs) Morals are usually just opinions. Disseminated opinions. Your opinions aren't yours. And by the way, may come as a shock to uh, my loitering hippie friends. I have any left. National Review and uh, Wall Street Journal have probably been the most chemically balanced publications I have found during the last couple of weeks. National Review has been roasting Trump and his uh, congressional fellates since January 6th. I have been uh, relatively impressed with them. And their criticism of the administration, their criticism of congressional Republicans, Trump zealots, We'll see where they are in six months. Hopefully we'll be around in six months to see that. But I've been pretty impressed. National Review has done a really good job. Wall Street Journal as well, in my opinion. One other thing I wanted to point out, though, when we're talking about social media, we're talking about parlor, we're talking about accountability. How much responsibility is falling to Fox for what happened on the 6th? How much responsibility is falling to Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram? How much responsibility falls to that network? It's a good question. What about OAN? Newsmax. Why is Parler the only one paying the price here? I mean, the stuff that Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson have been saying at night is fueling whatever is sprouting up on Parler. The stolen election conspiracy stuff. Why is Fox not paying a price? I'd like to see CNN pay a price as well for reporting that that guy in Madison didn't have a knife, that he was an unarmed black man being shot by another white cop, sending the cities into riotous rages and having the story wrong. There is a reason we have such a trust crisis with our media in this country. I've had nothing to do but think about our bloody history, about the mistakes we've made. What unites people 
armies, gold, flags, stories. There's nothing in the world more powerful than a good story. Nothing can stop it. No enemy can defeat it. That's true, but it's only half the story. Stuff is complex in the minute details, the minutia, but at its core, it's pathetically simple. It's a matter of making marionettes dance. If you can manipulate the silent internal dialogue, you can control the public man. This is the creation of proselytes and militants, from religion to politics and ideology, straight to the core of identity. It's a story about stories, narratives, schemas, grand designs. (laughs) There's so many words for it. They're all talking about the same thing. Who and what people believe they are, their perceived place in the world, and the egocentric and messianic perception of their impact on the world. Fundamental sense of meaning, purpose, and legacy. It's incredibly hard to cut through the psychological distortions to see reality because we, as human beings, are not built as truth seekers. Not by default. We are storytellers. Through and through. And that is easy to exploit because, like confused and frightened children, we are hopelessly susceptible to soothing fictions, particularly those inspirationally casting us personally in the righteous fight alongside a heroic protagonist. I've talked about a lot of different people on this show. Matt Taibbi, uh, Edward Bernays, Jacques Ellul, Jonathan Haidt, also Harari, Carr, Dr. Eli, Trump, Alex Jones, AOC and the Woke Flake cult, even 9-11 truthers. The connective tissue was inadequately condensed into that one TV scene, and Tyrion Lannister, Peter Dinklage, because his name nailed it. That's the cohesive narrative. That's the national myth. That is the power of a good story. They're unstoppable. They really are. The entire world is built on them. The entire world is built upon these competing narratives and stories. Religions, countries, nations, identities, identity politics, The only reason there is an identity politics is because you can have a story about your identity. Good and bad. White supremacists have stories too. And if you don't have a cohesive story, if you don't have a cohesive narrative, you have a lot of things. Stability isn't one of them. I said before that beliefs, I'm doing the air quotes here, beliefs, what we believe, these are placeholders for ignorance. Something to make the intellectual super black hole of I don't know tolerable. Beliefs calm confusion and cognitive dissonance. Our beliefs are the stories that we choose to listen to and accept. Choose. We choose these stories. Secular and non-secular religions they are. They serve more than one purpose. They fill a universal human need for the fellowship of cohesive tribal unity as well. That's one of the main ones. It was chief among those things. But as I said at the outset, this is only half the story because stories not only unify when tribal fictions become twisted into a storytelling death match, they factionalize and rip apart. Propaganda is the art of factional storytelling. The propagandist whose stories generate and manipulate visceral hatred within a country's border is practicing the very black art of agitation propaganda, the destabilizing propaganda of an insurgency whose mission is to demoralize, usurp, and ultimately replace. I've said a million times, I'll say a million more. Agitation propaganda is the propaganda of an insurgency. Any society, any religion, any nation who fails to defend itself and, most importantly, its institutions against this sort of assault is doomed. This isn't conjecture. This isn't loaded accusatory speculation. Look around. Propaganda works because the stories strike at identity's core, and these stories are therefore irresistible. Veracity has nothing to do with it. 
truthfulness, truthiness has nothing to do with it. Ask the burning bush or the talking snake. I wrote at the end of last year that this should be approached like a burgeoning holy war. Holy wars and our good versus their evil crusades are nothing new, and they certainly are not specific to the United States, obviously. But what is new is that this one is being stoked and fueled by perpetually connected and orating, orating virtual fire brands and millions of electronic Manchurian parrots, Manchurian propagandists taking what they find and spreading it. Should I use the virus metaphor here, the COVID metaphor? Super spreader, super spreader, super spreader. It's too easy. Kumbaya. Joe Biden gets sworn in here in just over 48 hours from when I'm recording this right now. A lot of talk about unity, repairing the institutions, bringing America back together again. Does America want that? Does America want that? I had a fantastic piece mailed to me. It was a blog post from a conservative guy who had had enough of Donald Trump, but he wanted to express why he was so angry. And I expected the piece to be, okay, well, this is why I supported Donald Trump. Part of it was, but the crux of his anger had turned toward Trump and his supporters. It was really good. One of the quotes is uh, that uh, some conservatives have been asking me why I'm directing so much of my anger at, quote, our side when, quote, the other side has done so many horrible things. This is the blogger talking. He says, the short answer, because I'm not responsible for the other side, I can't change them. I have no influence over them. I am not surprised when my enemies do things I disagree with. It doesn't make me angry because I, I never expected anything different, with the implication being, well, I do expect more from you, my side. I really identified with that. I became a traitor in the eyes of my old liberal comrades about three years ago. I was accosted with some version of this repeatedly, depending upon my mood. My response was usually the same as his. They are not my problem. From my perspective, they don't set our standards. This isn't the only example in this post, not the only example that screams, this is not ideologically specific. I have no idea who the author is. Looking at the URL, his name is John Jalsevich. Jalsevich? I don't know how to pronounce that. It's on my Facebook page, Escaping the Cave. No idea who the guy is. It's a long read, worth the effort. I believe in you. I think you can do it. But this guy, I suspect that there are a few million, several million, I dare say, people thinking along with him who are trying, trying to separate, trying to get back to a state of reason, away from the cult of Donald Trump. People who unfortunately now find themselves isolated without a compass or a guide. As they've sobered up and seen Trumpism for what it is, you know, there are people like my old resistance comrades, have become antagonists, if not outright adversaries. He's left them. And on the other hand, after years of trial by rhetorical combat, these ex-Trumpists are going to find no quarter in their old enemy's camp, despite the fact that they may now share surprising and unexplored commonalities. We may have things to talk about now points of agreement that might not have been there six months ago. That'll never happen. You know why? Because most of their old liberal enemies now more interested in reliving Versailles than enacting a social media Marshall plan. Punishing rather than building bridges. This is a mistake. If you're one of those liberals who are interested in a kumbaya vision of healing and unity, you must allow these escaped cultists a path home. I know, would Trumpists do that for you? Of course not. And that's precisely why you should do it for these exiles. Show Don't Tell is not just a rush song. Move beyond generic rhetoric and scripture and sermonizing to actually demonstrate, to actually show how you are a better alternative to Donald Trump and Trumpism. I've had a few conversations the last couple of weeks. 
based on those those chats with the woke. Since January 6th, I am not holding my breath for any of this to happen. I am not, but I will try to do it if I can. Remember I talked about how I would go off and I would stalk people's profiles? Well, a few of the far-right caricatures have gone silent. Maybe they've just adjusted their settings. Maybe they've abandoned their various social media accounts since January 6th. I don't know. Maybe they've been caught up in big tech's uh, disinformation crackdown. Maybe they've found refuge inside underground extremist enclaves lurking over in the dark web. I do not know. Maybe, being optimistic here, it's a healthy exercise for me. Maybe they've silently hit their ideological rock bottom and are rethinking things. If that's the case, they've engaged in something remarkable. It's called introspective reevaluation. Most of us could stand to do that, and I'll neither gloat nor shame them for that. Please don't do that. Give them a path home. If you can't provide the path, at least get out of the way. That's the only way your kumbaya vision is going to become a reality. If you happen to be one of these folks, maybe you've hit rock bottom with Trump, you're trying to figure out a way out of that. I know what this is like, believe me. The best solution for you may be to cut your media intake altogether, social, electronic, and otherwise, and start rebuilding organic relationships. Apolitical organic relationships. Finding those common bonds, those common points of uh, relatability that have nothing to do with politics. But either way, follow it, pursue it, and be careful. (laughs) Because uh, one of the things that's going to happen when you leave a religion and you no longer have that compass Your mind will go into roaming mode, and you're going to be susceptible to another one, to another system, another doctrine. Alul covered this. He talked about it. He says that the uh, the biggest enemy of Christianity, using an example here, the biggest enemy of Christianity is the former Christian, the former Christian zealot. He'll run just as hard away from Christianity to atheism because atheism is a system. And he becomes an enemy. It's not hard to see how this applies to politics. Especially, I've had to... Checked myself on this a number of times in the last couple of years. I still have to do it. I've lost some version of my religion twice. Two times. Walking away from a warm, wacky, welcoming congregation. It's hard. It's hard, man. Excommunicating from any cult means subjecting yourself to the scorn and abuse of the still faithful. It demands a degree of courage and self-respect that most of us lack. Enough self-respect to suffer. We should all be encouraging uh, more of that, regardless of the uh, sect. A hell of an episode for number 100, I think. I don't know. Sometimes I think these things suck and they turn out really good. (laughs) Sometimes I think they're really good. And oh my God, they're terrible, muy terrible. It's Spanish with Todd. Muy terrible. Two more days. Might release another episode tomorrow. Actually, maybe not. I think I just did what I was thinking about releasing tomorrow. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. All eyes on Wednesday. And I'll base (laughs) what I do on what happens then. I'll be glad when Wednesday's over with. I really will. Escapeofthecave.com is the website substack over there as well. Tonzilla X, I do believe. That's how I have that set up. You can check out the Facebook page as well. It's up. I'm active again for a little while, at least through Wednesday. So cruise over there if you like. Thank you ever so much for clicking in. We'll talk to you next time. So long. <laughs>